Last week I began this little process, a little process of taking us back to our roots, back to our beginning, okay? So those of you who, just for fun, there might be a few of you. How, how many of you were in this church in the beginning, 19 years ago? Can you raise your hands? Look at those. Okay, just see, there, there they are, all right. We started with foundations. And, and what you have to do with your foundations is you have to, you have to um, communicate them and return to them often. And so last week, I went to the foundation of radical forgiveness because the, the church begins right there in the place of radical forgiveness. Um, unbridled about it. And now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mine into that. We ended up, remember we went, from, we went from the communion, we went to spiritual gifts, and then went to they operate in love. So tonight we're going to deal with the issue of love, and we're going to do it um, by looking at the church of Ephesus, the historic church of Ephesus. I've preached a series about the book of Revelation or two. I once did Revelation in a night in this church. Did the book of Revelation in a night. Um, I, I've done it a number of times in eight lessons. And, uh, and then one time I did a series about revival from the second and third chapters of the book of Revelation. And I'll just kind of begin there. When you talk about revival, and listen, one of our foundations is to be a revival church. And I don't care who you are, your progress with God is, is like the stock market. But like historically, and I'm just go by historically, the stock market in America has done that thing, but it's constantly rising. It's never, it's never gone back and stayed back. So we'll, 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 we'll lean into that blessing. But your, your spiritual life is like that. And listen, our corporate life as a church is like that. And the corporate life of the church in the world is like that. The church has been on, a, on an upward plane, that is to say, extending the influence of the name of Jesus in all the earth on an increasing scale. And in the process of that, there's victories and losses. I'm gonna talk about Ephesus tonight. You know what? The, the one thing that is a stark reminder to us about the, the church at Ephesus is this, it does not exist. If you go with me to Ephesus today, you'll find ruins and you'll find ruins that date back to the time when there, there was a thriving church there, but you will not find a church there. Now, we're 19 years into our little experiment called New, New Life City. And I'm like, well, we're going into that 20th year. I'm all about all these, all these crossroads and stuff and these things are artificial. And then in my life, I, I just crossed that turning 65 thing where like in America, you're supposed to be obsolete. Right? Right? You know what, the, 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 this is gonna be awful, but I'm gonna say it because I say awful things. But, but the great gift of the millennial generation to us old people is that we're still relevant. They, they we're still needed, sorry, but it's true. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> And it's, it's really a great gift because there's actually a greater partnership with Generation Center was when I was, that, when I was a, younger, a younger man. I've, I've mentioned that before. Holy Spirit, would you come and quicken my thoughts and slow down my steps 
and awaken our hearts and kindle us to a flame. Isaiah said it this way, a bruised reed he won't break and the smoldering flax he will not quench. And Jesus picked up that statement. And Jesus is the one, by the way. So what's revival? It's when the spark returns to a flame. What's revival in Christendom? It's when the things that went fallow come back to life. What's revival in a local church? It's when a church that has great beginnings remembers where it came from and goes back to it. What's revival in your life? Your flame almost went out, but now you're back alive. What's revival in your marriage? Ah, now we can talk. It's when you're back to where you were when you got together to start. Except with all the experience failure, success, maturity, everything in it. So I want to talk to you about restoring the foundation at New Life City and returning to our first love. Let's talk about Ephesus, that great city of Ephesus. You probably can't see it on my map because I don't know how to actually highlight it. But this is a, this is a picture of Asia Minor and this is the, what, the west coast of Turkey. And down in the lower uh, center of that picture is Ephesus. Ephesus today is a city that's about seven miles off the coast. At the time that uh, the Bible was written, it was a coastal town and it was a great seaport. But the, uh, the silt, the constant movement of the silt moved the land outward and the city didn't expand and the city became... Um, an, an inward city. But it was a great seaport. It was the worship center of Artemis and Diana. Um, the, 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 this goddess Artemis um, and, and the Roman goddess Diana kind of merged into one in their thought processes. The temple to this goddess was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was an incredible sight to see. In the city, in the ancient world was a quarter of a million people. That was a burgeoning city in those days, one of the great cities of the ancient world. And in Bible parlance, Ephesus is the second most significant city in the Bible. Second, you say, yes, well, you're not gonna supersede Jerusalem, are you? Well, why do I say that? It's everywhere in the Bible, the city of Ephesus and what God did. Paul in AD 52 goes on his second missionary journey to Ephesus, establishes a work, uh, sends Priscilla and Aquila to oversee it. That name Apollos, that great leader Apollos, that great orator uh, was there. So if you look at the leadership, the famous people in leadership in the early church, it's like to get called to Ephesus was your goals, like First Baptist Church of the Ancient World. <laughs> By the way, I told somebody a story this week. This is kind of funny, but um, I had a, the reason I'm in Albuquerque is because I had a friend who was a pastor in, Al, in New Mexico and he only went to First Baptist churches. And when a, when a church not called First Baptist Church invited him to come, he said, uh, he said nope, but I got a friend that'll come. <laughs> and I ended up here. That's really kind of true, isn't it, Mama? <laughs> and and uh, Paul later comes back on his third journey and spends three years, three years in Ephesus. And he gives up on trying to convert the Jews and he goes to a public hall and he rents a public hall. You wanna, uh, the, the, kind of the first version of the kind of church that we're doing here was Ephesus, where you gather in a hall and hear teachings and, 
And Paul did it publicly for three years there. And then later when Paul's in prison, somewhere between 60 and 63, he pins a letter to the Ephesians. Uh, Ephesus becomes the city where Timothy becomes the overseer, overseeing pastor. So you have the, so you have Paul and the experience in Acts. You have a letter to the to the Ephesians. You have the pastoral epistles of First and Second Timothy, aimed at the city of Ephesus, and then ultimately, in his old age, old John goes to Ephesus. Where, um, where, where he's the overseen apostle and elder there and uh, probably uh, goes to be with the Lord from there. And uh, one of the interesting things about John is that it has been re- reported, and I love this because um, scholars, I actually have a book that's written by a non-Christian scholar who reports on John and calls this a viable report, which is that John went to Ephesus and was finally so offended by the cult of Diana that he stood and cursed the temple and a third of it fell down. Try that. Try that for a sign and wonder. So that's actually a, an ancient historical document that's written like that. So all that. So the Bible's full of this city, right? It's just like everywhere. And then we come to John the Apostle writing in his apocalypse in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Revelation. I consider those two chapters two of the most important chapters for the church in the whole Bible. Why? Because this is red letters from heaven. This is, this is Jesus from his heavenly throne speaking into the church and speaking to the seven churches and thereby speaking to the church historically. And it's a sevenfold message of ongoing repentance as the means of ongoing life. So you can't neglect this. I, uh, sometimes I get a little weird. Somebody said sometimes. Dan, grab me a bottle of water. Dan, yeah, would you do it? Would you grab me a bottle of water? Um, whenever, whenever revival, it was always, whenever, um, anywhere I've ever been, whenever it's revival, we always get the, the quoted from the Old Testament text, when my people which are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face and pray. Um, that's, that's always kind of the revival text. Guess what? It's a good revival text, but guess what? It's Old Covenant. And how many of you know we're in a New Covenant with better promises? In the New Covenant, the call to the church to, to revival is the letter to the seven churches. The letters to the seven churches. Speaking to us and telling us what to do. Now be sure, I want you to understand, New Life City, why do I care about this? Probably because I'm in the fourth quarter. Maybe not in life, yeah, that too. But definitely uh, in my pastoral ministry. After 40 years, you're in the fourth quarter. Um, And so I'm like, well, where do we go from here? Well, for one thing, you don't lose track of where you've been. And you go, okay, where do we go from here? Where you've been informs where you go from here. A lot of it is just really practical. And I tell everybody all the time, when you get disconnected from your spouse, 
what do you do? Well, what did you do when you first got connected to your spouse? I paid so much attention to her, she could not ignore me. Nowadays, the word for it is stalking. really funny. I, it's funny to me. It really is funny to me because, you know, like we didn't have, we didn't have any electronics at all. Are you kidding me? Not, not of anything that gives the information stuff, but I still knew where she was at all times. <laughs> Man, I knew the chart of, of the school and where she went to classes and where her classes were and what time and when she went home for lunch and when she would come back. And on the weekends, what were her normal habits of hanging out where? And I put myself in her space. <laughs> People are, everybody's getting really scared, but it was really cool. I'm just sorry. It was just awesome. Because I was actually pretty passive about it because she was like mostly mad at me. which meant I had to be extra courteous, had to be on best behavior, no beer on my breath. (laughs) Oh, she nodded at that one, oh yeah, she nodded at that one. So, that's really, I'm telling you in that where I'm going tonight. When this church started, I'm telling you, there was a yearning in my heart that had never, ever, ever gotten, at, gotten really addressed. And I found myself in the middle of my Christian community saying, what's this about? And worship was wrote And I remember I used to think, am I really, is this what I'm gonna do my whole life? This little routine? And you know what I began to do? I began to seek the Lord. On the same level that I had begun to seek the Lord when I didn't know the Lord, but heard about him. Where is he? Where can he be found? And I love my friends at Iris Ministries who have as a value, God can be found. Yes. Revelation 2, 1, write this to the angel. That's the messenger. That's the leader of the church of Ephesus. These are the words of the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is Jesus saying, I don't have one of you in my hand. I have all of you in my hand. I know what you've done, your hard labor and your patience. I know that you cannot tolerate evil people and that you have tested those who pass themselves um, off as apostles and they're not. And you've demonstrated them to be frauds. And I'm telling you, I'm doing this from the kingdom translation. I usually use the English standard version, but kingdom translation tonight. No particular reason. Um... So this is the first of the seven letters to the churches. It's to the church at Ephesus and he's commending them. Man, do I have some commendations for you. It's a long list. And how you've come through with, you've come through together. Change and hardship and failure and fear and financial crisis and personal failure. Trouble, 
He says they've done all that. Well, trouble in Ephesus. If you go to the trouble in Ephesus, you'd first look in the book of Acts and you'd find they had trouble with Demetrius, the idol maker. And out of that, um, by the way, it's just so fantastic. City of a quarter of a million. The first group of the church was probably 12. And it was people who had had John's baptism, but they hadn't clearly heard about Jesus yet. And they have Jesus preach to them and and, and the baptism of Jesus and they receive the power of the Holy Spirit and they're, and they're transformed. And the original, the Jewish church is not that interested in Ephesus, is not that interested in what Paul's up to, but something happened and it happened on such a level that it began to trouble the local economy. So something among a group of approximately 12 original people, and I listen, I don't know, there might, some of this is, is speculative, but if you've got a city of a quarter million and, and the whole city is worshipers of um, Artemis of the Ephesians and, and, the, and it's, an, it's a fertility cult and they have thriving businesses selling the images of the idols, And if the local idol maker gets stirred up because you're messing with his business, you got something going on. And a riot started. And all kind of trouble took place. It was also in in Ephesus where the power over demon spirits was manifested at such a degree that that, uh, you remember the seven sons of Sceva and that little thing where they tried to cast out demons in the name of Paul, or Jesus who Paul preaches. Well, you know we, know, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but we don't know you. And so there's a power encounter that takes place at Ephesus. And the power of God over the power of the, of the demonic idols is manifested and demonstrated. The church flourishes under it. And the heat comes and the persecution comes. It's just one little chapter. And then probably, I think it's very probable that uh, in 1 Timothy, again, I said this is an Ephesian context, that the woman who was creating a disturbance in the church that led to the strictures about women speaking in the church was probably from the cult of Artemis of Ephesus. Well, they dealt with Demetrius. They dealt with that woman. And then there's the encounter that Paul has with the Ephesian elders. And he says to them, listen, the wolves are coming. Ravenous wolves are coming. And and you're going to find out they dealt with the wolves in the form of, what, what was it? False apostles. Anybody who thinks that the early church was just everybody preaching uh, kumbaya and everything you do is okay and everything's one thing. Mm -mm. Nope, they had a definite content, they had a definite gospel and things that ran into conflict with that gospel, it wasn't gonna be okay. This gospel of Jesus Christ will put you at odds with the world. It'll put you at odds with the gods of this world. It'll put you at odds with the spirit of the age. It'll put you at odds with other claims to salvation. It'll put you at odds. It'll make you plenty of critics. Well, they have to contend with a false apostle. And I'm like, well, what was that? If you go digging into the history, you find a little bit of hint because it wasn't any of these. These were problems, but they weren't false apostles. When you got a false apostle, you got a real problem. You got somebody who was, who was claiming to speak in the authority of John himself is what happened. And there's three of the ancient church writers that tell us about a, a certain person. Eusebius is the first one. He tells us about Serenthus. So Eusebius, and then in the third century, um, Hippolytus, and then Irenaeus, the early church fathers. So the three early church fathers, all of them give specific details about this one Serenthus. 
But Serenthus, by means of a revelation which he pretended such wonderful things and pretended they were written by a great apostle and claimed the revelation was shown him by an angel and asserting that after the resurrection of Christ there would be an earthly kingdom of Christ. It sounds almost true. Serenthus being an enemy of the divine word with a view to deceive men, he said there would be a space of a thousand years for celebrating the nuptial festivals. It is highly probable that Serenthus, the same one that establishes heresy, that bears his name, he's, he's the one that affixes this to a forgery from John. I wrote some commentary there. It's not part of the quote. I'll, I'll correct that tomorrow. <laughs> this guy, so he started a, he started a, a you'll love this, a return of Jesus cult, an ancient one. And this guy said he was a false apostle and did much evil. Well, there's more about him. You find out later, it's not there. You find out later that uh, Hippolytus says he was a Judaizer, which was Paul's number one enemy, who came in confusing the people about about the necessity of becoming Jews in order to become Christians. And he wrought all kind of problem. Then Irenaeus writes that when John himself came into a public bath and (laughs) Serenthus was there, John wouldn't even stay. I won't tell you what he said because you won't believe it. (laughs) But so three church fathers write about this guy masquerading as an apostle, bringing trouble. And what I'm saying to you is the Ephesian church had to deal with conflicts from without, disturbances from within, and false apostles. And they did it. Now what I'm saying to you, New Life City, you've been through a lot. A lot. And we're going into our 20th year together. And here's what I have to say to you. You're going to go through a lot more. I never, um, I never imagined when I first began in the ministry, I, I was kind of, for the first three churches I was in, I served for four years each. Never dreamed I'd be somewhere 20 years. Now I'm in that nightmare. <laughs> now I'm going into that 20th year with you. And I'm literally, I'm saying, Lord, what's up? What's up? What's up? Don't you feel it a little bit? Don't you want to say, Lord, what's up? I'm a little bit stirred up. I'm a little bit dissatisfied. I'm a little bit like I was at the beginning. I'm a little bit saying, have I come this far to come this far? I'm a little bit saying, if nothing changes, nothing changes. So I'm like, okay, Lord, what are we going to do? And that is where I am, and that's where you are with me. And the one thing that I know clearly that the Lord has spoken to me is, go back to some original things. Well, New Life City was born in a prayer meeting. And it was born in, and by the way, of all things that churches do, uh, prayer meetings are both the most wonderful and the thing I'm most suspicious of. (laughs) Because prayer meetings become religious so fast. And so I'm at a place now where the the lack, because do you know how hard it is to stop a prayer meeting? It's like you hate God. (laughs) But prayer meetings run a life cycle. And they have some life in them. They have some fire in them. And then, all, then you're just like, we're doing this, man. We're doing this. And then you're like, we got to do this. But there's a few of you that are still saying, we're doing this. We're doing this. And the thing's already gone to sleep. And, and you think it's idolatry if you let it die. So I've become a guy now. If you've noticed the way I lead the church, I'm like, we're going to pray for eight weeks and then we're going to shut her down. I tell you ahead of time. 
This milk has a sell-by point. <laughs> We're not gonna keep drinking it when it gets sour. And that's how I am about prayer meetings. And I'm still that way, but I am this way. Got to call for more prayer meetings. Because what happens in a prayer meeting? And don't miss this. What happens in a prayer meeting? Because if all you're doing is talking, and by the way, I like, a lot of, I like a lot of sound in my prayer meetings. I like them to be noisy. But what you want to have is enough people so that the prayer meeting can be noisy, but not everybody's being noisy at once. What's that about? I don't know. Just, just preference. I, I prayed with Koreans once and they ruined me. <laughs> Y'all ever prayed with Koreans? Korean style praying. They all get in one room and they all pray at the top of their voice and they don't get tired. Man, American prayers are sissies by comparison. I'm telling you, those people can do some, like, you got to work out before you get there. <laughs> I'm not even messing around a little bit. But it's in the midst of prayer that Jesus reveals himself. And I'm telling you, the spirit of revelation is the essential ingredient for life, for your life. Listen, I, look, I'll, I'll go ahead and be crass about this. I've said it, I used to say it all the time. I don't say it much anymore because people get a little squeamish and say it. But, but prayer is to spirituality what sex is to relationships. It's the bonding fire. And it's the ultimate intimacy. And you gotta have prayer to come alive. And so, called a prayer meeting this week. I've, I called two prayer meetings in the last month for men. Man, we had a beautiful group show up both times. And we prayed and I said, Lord, what do you, and you know what? Uh, it's for the first time in a while in a corporate prayer meeting, a little crack of the door opened for me. And I literally said, I got it. I got it. I got it. Now listen, do you understand? Wait. There's enough new ones. I probably ought to tell my story about that. But it's, is it a quick story? Help me, Jesus. When I first moved to Albuquerque, I used to walk up to the mountain and pray with a guy named Jerry Yarnell. Jerry's an artist. You can find his work online. And he was a Baptist guy, but he was a charismatic Baptist. I didn't know that when I started praying with him, but we would go up the mountain and we would climb like madmen for, I don't know, seemed like ever. And, and uh, then we would stop and he'd say, okay, Alan, we're gonna pray. And we'd start to pray. And we wouldn't pray near as long as we walked. But Jerry would say, Jerry never said amen. He said, okay, we got it. I'd be like, where is it? <laughs> Alan, we got it. What did we get? What we were asking for. What were we asking for? <laughs> Don't worry, you'll see, we got it. And we'd leave. And after praying with that guy, like that with that guy for a few months, I was like, dang, he's right. <laughs> and I learned how to pray till I got it. What did you get? The witness from heaven. You don't need anything else. You don't need anything else. You understand that any old angel with a command can lock the devil up. Any old ordinary nothing of an angel with a command can take the chain and the keys and lock the devil up. I'm provoking you. I'm intending to provoke you because I'm provoked. Because I've got to say, Okay, Jesus, if this is all we're going to get, then you need to replace me. 
because y'all done heard enough from me where it's all we're gonna get. I'm after some more. I'm after some stuff, Frank Cherry, that you spoke into my life that I ain't never seen manifested yet. That man prophesied over me before this church became a church. And then right when this church became a church, and I've been living off of that tree of life, but not telling anybody about it. I don't have it yet, and it's not okay. Jesus, help us. Help us, Jesus. Do you you know that none of those prophecies about apostleship stir up any covetousness in me at all? That's just more work. I don't need all that. I'll take it. But the prophecies about lives transformed. Come on. Got to get your life transformed by one touch from the master. One kiss from heaven. One breath. One embrace from Jesus. That you go, I don't know what anybody else has got to say because that man spoke to me and I'm going with him and I'm with him the rest of my life because that's what he did to me. And he touches you with a touch that never grows old and never goes away. And we have to have it. You have patience and you put up with a great deal because of my name and you haven't grown weary. I do have this one thing against you. You have abandoned the love you showed at the beginning. And most translations say your first love because everybody knows what that first, that flush of first love is. Everybody knows it. Now, to say it this way is helpful too because what that's saying is you loved with a love that was like my love and others couldn't resist it. When you say your first love, you can turn that in on yourself. You can just turn that in. But when you just say you've, you've abandoned love, you can't, you can't just turn that in. See, that's, that's got to be turned out. And we ended up where it was turned out. What, what, what changes people's lives? Well, yes, it's power, but, it's, but all the power works through love. All of it. You've abandoned the love you showed at the beginning. So remember the place from which you have fallen. That's like saying, you can almost see the river of Ephesus washing the dirt and pushing them further from the shore as their fallenness from the place of their greatest fruitfulness and their distance from the place of their greatest empowerment. Remember the place from which you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at the beginning. If not, if you don't repent, I'll come and remove the lampstand. And I'm telling you, there's no church in Ephesus today. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on, church. Okay. Okay. Let me tell you what revival is not. Revival is not him giving you what you don't already have. Revival is him breathing on what you already have. Revival is you stirring up what you've already received. Revival is going to the beginning and taking, and taking the, 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 the bits of the, of the beginning thing and, and bringing that thing back to life. You say, how do I do it? Well, the word of your testimony is one, one place. Because I want to tell you something. You want to get happy? Go find somebody that doesn't know you and ask them if you can tell them your Jesus story and tell them your Jesus story because they've never heard it and you'll be the one gets revived. You'll be the one that goes, whoo, I've forgotten my first love. You'll be the one that gets transformed by it. You'll be the one that wonders why you've grown so cold. You'll be the one that wonders why you have lost the joy of the Lord. You'll be the one that be, you're stirring yourself up in your most holy faith. Remember the place you fall and repent. 
Do what you did at the beginning. Go, listen, this is where place holds the significance. I'm weird about place. I'd rather go to Clinton, Mississippi than Jerusalem any day of the week because I met Jesus in Clinton, Mississippi and my holy land is there. And he's there and I was baptized there and I repented my sin there and I led the first person to Jesus there and I found the love of my life because I gave my life to Jesus and then I was worth having. That's the holy land. That's where all the memories are. That's where all the life is. It's the tree of life. And Jerusalem's kind of cool. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But I'm not even kidding a little bit. I used to make my wife sick because we, every time I'd take somebody there, come on, you got to go on the tour with me. And right here and right here and right here. And they don't care, but I care. Don't lose your... When your lampstand is gone, it means there's... Look, it's no light in you. Go to any house tonight. What are you going to say? Are the lights on? Is there anybody there? Is there any life in that place? And only thieves go where the lights are off. The rest of us go looking for life. Gotta, are y'all okay? I gotta quit soon. People come to this church for the first time, they're like, Ben, they go on forever. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm gonna miss whatever it is. And we just go ahead and don't stop because we say, yeah, this is how we are. It's an acquired taste. You'll be all right. You do, however, have this in your favor. You hate what the Nicolaitans are doing. And I hate it too. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. That's where the life is. That's where the life is. That's where the life is. So I gathered with 35 people, but I didn't care what any of them said. I didn't even care if they prayed bad. I don't need to dress everybody's theology when they're praying. I'm over that. I'm, I left that school. I need to get the one voice. I need the presence of the one. I need him to speak to me. I need him to make me live again. Because if he doesn't speak to me, I'm going to die. And it's terrible to die before you're dead. But everywhere, Christians are doing it. They're dying before they're dead. Stop it and come to life. How do I do it? Stir yourself up. And I'll tell you again, you don't have to ask God to give you what you don't have. You have to ask God to breathe on what you do. If you've been saved and filled with the Spirit, He can just pour more in. He pour more in. Pour more in. That's why the book of Galatians says he supplies the Spirit to us. That's why the book of Romans says he pours forth the Spirit into our hearts. We who believe. You do, however, have this one thing in your favor. You hate the Nicolaitans, what they're doing, and I hate it too. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The tree of life stands in God's paradise. And I will give to anyone who conquers the right to eat from it. Well, everything about Christianity is a tree of life. You know, the, the, the book of the Bible, the book of Genesis begins with a tree of life in the midst of the garden and a tree from which they're not allowed to eat because of their sin. And a tree that we, that we eat so freely from. Now, look what he says. He's gonna, what does he say he's going to give you? He's going to give you what you already have. <laughs> in Ephesus, this was especially interesting 
because they had that great temple of Artemis. And it, the, the temple grounds in those days were, were great, uh, massive structures. And in temples, it was not surprising, and it was true at Ephesus, there was a, there was a, a garden in the temple grounds. And there was a tree in the midst of the garden. And that tree became so notable that it became a place of asylum so that freeing criminals could go there and find asylum from their crimes. And it was so important, they put an image on it on their coins. And so Jesus is speaking into what they already have. He's speaking into what the, what the Ephesians have in their cultic worship, and he's speaking into what his people have in their hearts. Well, who was this Nicolaitan thing? So let me, let me just tell you before I start, nobody knows, okay? But always in the nobody knows stuff, there's people who have studied this stuff and have... Hence, and the one hint in the Bible is that this was, or I mean in the ancient history, is that this is Nicholas of Antioch. And it's Irenaeus that writes about him. And yes, they're saying he was a deacon in the church. He was one of the first six deacons, a servant. And who was, he was a pagan who converted to Judaism, who converted to Christ. And then he committed apostasy and became the leader of a cult. A cult that was one of, those, one of those groups that controlled the way people lived. One of the great definitions of a cult is there's no freedom in a cult. They bind you with fear and shame. They bind you with oaths. They bind you with all kinds of things. This is why you should, we shouldn't be surprised, by the way, that, that all that pledging virginity all failed miserably. That stuff doesn't work. Only a relationship with Jesus works. Yeah. All the stuff that we've ever sworn oaths to, we've all transgressed them. But we're... We're called to live in a sweet relationship to one who walks with us, talks with us, ministers to us, loves us. Nicholas, the name Nicholas means the conqueror. The Nicolaitans were the overcomers of the people. Nicholas, laity. People, the ones who overcome the people, the ones who conquer the people. And the very first word from heaven to the churches is you gotta conquer the conquerors. And to the one who overcomes, it's the same word, conqueror. The one who overcomes, he says, I'll give them to eat from the tree of life. I'm almost done. Here's the sign of it. There's my proof. Close the computer that I never look at. If I put more notes in my life than what's up there, I'll get way more confused than I am and you'll be more confused than you are. What's God calling us to? Oh, he says, remember where you were when I found you. Where were we? It's a bunch of people sitting in a room saying, Jesus, is there more for us than what we got? And listen, he's done the more, he has. But if I tell the truth, we've mostly turned it into more routines. It just took a long time. And there's still great stuff happening. Don't even get me wrong. People are coming in. You don't even know all the stories. We don't do a very good job at telling the stories. But people come in this house and touch life and get their hearts changed. It's a wonderful thing. I get to see it all the time. And I get to talk to people about, if you come to this church, we don't do sin management. We just do Jesus. We don't do, we're not, this is not, this is not home improvement for Jesus people. This is not like, let's just try to clean ourselves up so God will accept us. We don't do that. We just do him. We just receive his love so we can give his love. 
we just receive his life so we can give his life. We're not on the treadmill. And goodness knows, I'm not trying to put my church on the treadmill. I'm not gonna tell you if you work harder and do all kind of things, you're, you know, I'm not doing it. I'm just telling you there's life in Jesus. And I think he wants to breathe life on New Life City again. And I think he wants us to eat from the tree of life again. And I think he wants to sweep through us with his love so that there'll be more. Okay, so you see, I think and understand something. I don't care where where it goes. I don't care who gets it. I don't care. There's nothing in my heart that says, well, he wants to do something. He's going to do it here. Forget all that stuff. I don't care where he does it. I just want it to spill over here when it comes. Here's what it looks like. It looks like a sound that goes out that people hear it and they go, where's this voice I'm hearing? You see, there's an apostasy on the land. And we're not going to confront the apostasy by becoming Nicolaitans who control people's lives. No, no, no. The only thing that's going to cure this is for a sound to go forth, a sound, a sound. when the spirit is moving people they hear the music and they want to learn the steps and God says I want to have a people in whom I can put the sound why don't you stand together